Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. And we are here amidst some beautiful feast days, beautiful time of year, August. It's warm, but it's also beautiful. You start to get little hints of fall, although I hate to say it because I do enjoy the summer and we'll be shoveling snow before we know it. But we do get these little hints of fall, of autumn, at the same time we're still enjoying some summer. And right in the midst of those feast days, especially in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we have two beautiful feasts which have a lot to do, actually, with nature. I mean, nature is really drawn into it as it often is in the Byzantine or the Eastern Christian spirituality. We're very incarnational, very sacramental. So we bring nature into a lot of what we do and we bring what we do into nature. The first feast is the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord on August 6th. That's a very big feast for us in the Eastern Church because it kind of strikes at the very heart of Eastern spirituality, which is about transfiguring, transforming. In other words, theosis, divinization, the ongoing process of becoming who we're really supposed to be as human beings, what we really were created for, the why behind our creation and our ultimate destiny. In other words, we were created to shine gloriously, to be these glorious creatures that reveal God and continue to grow in glory, to move, as one of the great saints of the Eastern Church, Gregory Nisa, said, to move from glory to glory. In other words, it never stops in this life and in the next. We keep transfiguring. And on Mount Tabor, Jesus Christ transfigured before his apostles. He showed them the glory, this destiny I'm talking about, about the human person. So the apostles, Peter, James, and John, were the only three up there with him on Mount Tabor. They saw, for the first time, the fullness of what it is to be human. They saw their origins and their destiny. 
And also, at the same time, of course, as always, they saw the divinity of Christ being revealed and the glory of that light of Tabor. The light of Tabor is something that is a very strong concept in Eastern spirituality. In the West, we have, in the, especially in the mystical tradition, the mystics of the church, we have things like the stigmatas and or things like experiences like perhaps levitating and ecstasies and so on. In the East, the counterpart to that is what we call the light of Tabor. The Eastern church speaks of its saints, its great saints and mystics as shining or sort of glowing at the light of Tabor. So light is a huge concept in Eastern church. And that's one of the reasons why this feast day of our Lord's transfiguration on Mount Tabor is so huge for us. It's the light of Christ, his divinity, and the real manifestation of his humanity, and therefore our humanity. We get the real meaning of who we are as humans in Christ's transfiguration on the mount. And during this time, of course, is when we once again get a sense of the Trinity as the voice of God rings out, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, during this feast day, we have a custom of bringing fruit into the church and blessing it. And again, here's our connection. Here's that liturgical worldview of the Eastern Church, that sacramental view where we bring that sacramental mentality to all of creation. And we bring creation to the church and bring the church into creation. We bring fruits because it's reminiscent of the first fruits of the harvest. In other words, oftentimes at this time of year, there is a, there's a harvest. Many of you might have gardens like we do at our church of Annunciation in Homer Glen. We have an organic vegetable garden along with our prairie, our water management and sustainable environment master plan for our 10 acres of property. And we bring our spirituality into nature. And from our organic garden, we bring the fruits of the vine, the fruits of the, the plants there. And we bring in other fruits such as plums and grapes and all those great things that I really enjoy during summertime. Plums and peaches and grapes, those are my favorite fruits. And we bring those into the church and we bless them because they're symbolic of the first fruits of the harvest which, of course, is a metaphor for Christ and for the faithful departed. And we also see in that this element of the transfiguration. You know, from a little seed, innocuous little seed that's planted in the ground, there evolves, there transfigures, there divinizes, in a sense, this beautiful fruit-bearing plant. I mean, it's absolutely miraculous to see this metamorphosis from an innocuous little seed into this magnificent, life-bearing, fruit-bearing plant. And so we take those items from the fruit of the vine and we bring them into the church because they are reminiscent of Christ's transfiguration, of our transfiguration, and also of God's incarnation, the sacramentality of the earth. You know, the earth is the garden of the universe. It's the sacrament of the universe. And we proclaim that by bringing parts of the earth into the liturgy and the liturgy into the parts of the earth. So we bless fruit on the Feast of the Transfiguration. One of my favorites, and it comes at a great time of year. And also then, we move from there into the Feast of Our Lady's Dormition. In other words, the Dormition, or the, as it's more commonly known in the Latin rite, the Assumption of the Mother of God into Heaven. Now, in the Eastern churches, as always, we have a preparatory time that leads up to any great feast. So even though we're celebrating, and it's kind of tricky actually, we're celebrating this great feast of the Transfiguration, you know, the pre-festive and post-festive. At the same time, we're fasting. Yes, it's a fasting, a penitential period at the same time. It's kind of like we function on two layers, spiritually speaking. The Feast of the Remission, since it's a major feast in the church and shared by East and West, we prepare for that in the Eastern Church, as we always do for a great feast, by a period of penance. In other words, of prayer, fasting, confession. 
and, of course, increased works of charity, reading of the scripture, quiet time, and so on. And that begins on August 1st. It's a two-week preparation in anticipating the Feast of the Dormition, or Assumption of the Mother of God. This is another one of those feasts that gives us a glimpse into who we are as human beings, our origin and our destiny. Well, this time, the central figure, of course, is the Virgin Mary, or as we like to call her in the Eastern churches, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of God. We have many, many terms for her, many poetic, deeply theological terms, but our favorite principal term, the most proper term for the mother of Jesus is, in the Eastern church, Theotokos, like God-bearer. It's actually not precisely translatable to English. That oftentimes happens when you go from Greek or Latin into English. Things aren't always exactly translatable, but you can get a pretty good idea. In other words, Theotokos means the person who Mary held in her body, in her womb, was both God and man. That's why you call her Mother of God. It's an affirmation of who Jesus is. Any title of Mary, any event for Mary, is at the same time an event for Christ. It has meaning implications for who Christ is. Christ makes Mary who she is, and Mary, in turn, leads us to Christ. So, to define something about one of them is to define something about the other, and vice versa. So, it's the Theotokos, the mother of God. In this feast day, we see, once again, the origins and our destiny. Since the Virgin Mary was born without sin, without original sin, she was spared by God. She was redeemed beforehand by Christ. She had to go through redemption like the rest of us because she's human, but she was redeemed beforehand by Christ, and he kept her from any original personal sin. And this was because he was preparing for himself a worthy tabernacle. You know, she is foreshadowed in the Old Testament as, the, for instance, the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy of Holies, you know, the sanctuary. So Christ prepares for himself a sanctuary, a Holy of Holies, a new Ark of the Covenant, and then enters into her, and the incarnation then becomes a reality. So she is actually spared from sin, and therefore she is actually the woman or the human being as we were originally meant to be. Remember, Adam and Eve were created without sin. Everything was good and holy in the Garden of Eden. Remember that? Way back in the beginning. Adam and Eve were to pass on into eternal life, body and soul intact, a gentle, beautiful passing, like what happened to the mother of God. She died, but in a way that is different than the way we die. She passed on into the next life, body and soul intact. Her body and soul did not separate in that as the great author Peter Kreeft says, is that cosmic obscenity that we know as death. Because death only comes about from original sin. It was never meant to be. Remember, we were never meant to die. A lot of people say, there's only two things you're going to do in this world, pay your taxes and die. No, actually, both were not necessarily true. Certainly, the one about death was never true in the beginning. It is only true now, yes, we have to die, only because of original sin. Well, we're going to talk more about these great feast days in the Eastern Church and how they are connected to our whole worldview of creation when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. 
Here's a reminder for our friends who listen to Light of the East in the Bay Area. The Byzantine Catholic Parish of St. Basil the Great invites you to a vigil celebration in honor of the Holy Door Mission, the Assumption of the Mother of God, on Sunday, August 14th at St. Albert the Great Church. That's at 1095 Channing Avenue at Palo Alto. Divine Liturgy begins at 11 a.m., followed by a children's procession with flowers and a display of Eastern icons of the Virgin Mary. For more information, call Father Anthony at 408-871-0919. That's 408-871-0919. Or visit the parish website at stbasil.org. That's stbasil.org. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to Prairie Fest. This year's fest features a 5K run, beanbag tournament, and trivia contest. Experience the reverential awe of our church interior and take a meditative walk for our award-winning landscape. Prairie Fest. No admission charge. Prairie Fest kicks off at 7, Friday evening, August 12th, with music by the Tinley Park Arts Alive Jazz Band. Then Saturday, August 13th at 2.30, the U of I Guys Band, playing your favorite hits. Later, at 7, the fabulous Neverly Brothers. That's why I go for that rock and roll music. On Sunday, August 14th at 11.30 a.m., Polka with Eddie Wozonczyk's Versatones on their farewell tour. Oh, how I miss you. Followed by Harvest Moon at 3. Prairie Fest, $5,000 grand prize raffle. Details at ByzantineCatholic.com on the events page. Friday through Sunday, August 12th through the 14th at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Daughters of St. Paul sponsor a monthly study group on the theology of the body. The discussions are led by Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. Every second Saturday during the month at Pauline Books and Media, 172 North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, from 1030 until 12 noon Central Time. Simultaneously and interactively video streamed live online. As you know, we are concerned about the sacramental liturgical worldview as delivered by John Paul II's Theology of the Body. For more information, go to daughtersofstpaul.com or call 312-346-4228. Welcome back to Light of the East during this time in which we are amidst to sort of in the residue of, of two marvelous feast days, very nature-related feast days in the Eastern Church, the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord and the Feast of the Assumption or Domitian of the Mother of God. Both of them involve elements of nature. We were talking before the break on the Feast of the Domitian of Mother of God, and on that feast, we bring nature into the church just as we did for the Transfiguration, and we bring the church into nature. We bring flowers into the church herbs and flowers. These were considered to be medicinal. In fact, they still are. And we're actually in a time nowadays when we're thankfully rediscovering this as we struggle to regain the sacramental worldview and apply that to nature. We begin to see that God put all kinds of things here in nature that can cure us. Natural things only have bad side effects. They aren't full of man's manipulation and all kinds of chemicals and all kinds of artificial bonding and distortions and so on. I'm saying that all medicines are bad. But let's start with what God did first. Let's start with what is most closest and natural to God's order. And so we bring a lot of these medicinal flowers into the church. In the prayer that we have at our church, in fact, you can see some of this by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. You can see that we have 
growing there things like the echinacea plant. And that's a very medicinal plant, actually. They make teas out of it and other kinds of natural antibiotics. So we bring those plants and other plants into the church, and we bless them. Also, because it's reminiscent of the tradition of the passing of the Mother of God, her Dormition, where when the apostles came to her tomb, there was nothing there except the smell and fragrance of flowers. It's a very beautiful feast, and we do beautiful things on these beautiful feasts. We bring in these flowers and fruits, and in fact, one of the customs is to take one of those flowers and kind of flatten it out, put it in like a little wax paper or a little uh, Ziploc bag or something, and to stick it in your Bible. That's actually a custom. So there's all kinds of ways in which through sacramentals, through, through we sort of wed nature and liturgy together in that sacramental liturgical worldview so characteristic of the Eastern Church. As I mentioned earlier, this feast day of the Domitian Mother of God, just like the Feast of the Transfiguration, gives us a glimpse into our original creation, that we were created without sin. We were not meant to die as we know it today. But it also gives us a glimpse into our destiny, that we are to pass body and soul intact into the heavenly glory with God forever. That's why I've ever seen the icon to the Domitian. And again, I believe you can see them on my website, going to byzantinecatholic.com and click on the photo page byzantinecatholic.com, you'll see the icon of the Dormition of the Mother of God. This icon shows Christ holding what looks to be like a little baby, wrapped almost like a mummy or in swaddling clothes. Well, that baby is symbolic of the soul of the Mother of God. In other words, it's innocence, it's purity, preserved from original sin, and is receiving that soul into his arms in heaven. So, even in the iconography, we have communicated the theology, the deep meaning of this feast of the assumption, the dormition of the mother of God. We call it dormition because, of course, that's where we get the word to sleep, like dormitory or like an Italian dormire, to sleep. We often refer to death, especially when it comes to Jesus Christ, the mother of God, other great saints. In the Eastern Church, we refer to death as a kind of a sleep or a slumber. In other words, there's not a permanency to it. It's like when Jesus came upon the sick girl and he said to the crowd that was mourning, Don't worry, she's not dead, she is asleep, meaning that her death was temporary. So it was almost like just a sleep, so to speak, that she would come out of this and rise up. That was a premonition of our ultimate destiny, where our bodies will rise up at the general resurrection, the end of time, and be judged. And hopefully if we are right and just, they will be reunited with our bodies and we'll be transfigured once again and be brought into the arms of our Lord to take our place at the wedding feast of the Lamb forever. So you can see in both feasts, which are back-to-back here, the Transfiguration and also the Dormition or Assumption Mother of God, you can see how it brings across the meaning of our being human, God's original plan for us and our ultimate destiny. And we do all kinds of beautiful things to, to bring the whole creation into that reality. So we literally bring creation into the church and bless these items, fruit of the vine, the creation from God, work of human hands offered back to God and reminding us of our destiny, reminding us of our connectedness with nature, that all of nature, all of creation is holy, is sacramental. As always in the Eastern Church, we pray what we believe and what we believe we express in prayer. The Byzantine saints used to say, a theologian is one who prays, a man who really prays, and one who really prays is therefore a theologian. Because through prayer, we commune with God intimately, and theology is all about learning about God. 
Now, we can learn about God through all of the gifts God gave us, such as our mind, our intellect. We can study the scriptures, study theology, contemplate on things, study philosophy, and raise these great questions in which theology provides the answer. You know, we can get very metaphysical about things, and that's good, we must. But at the same time, the way we really know is by that intimate, mystical communion with God. And so the way we praise, the way we believe, the way we believe, the way we pray. For the Feast of the Transfiguration, we say prayers like this. O Christ, you have clothed yourself completely in the nature of Adam, therefore refashioning what had been corrupted. Through your becoming human, you transfigured and glorified our nature. You see how the prayer explains the deep meaning of the theology of the event itself? So these events in Scripture, they're not history lessons. They're not things in the past. They are our experiences. They are us. Peter, James, and Paul beholding Christ transfigured on Mount Tabor, that's us beholding Christ on the altar, in the liturgy, in the Eucharist, in the richly decorated Byzantine churches which have Christ and the saints and angels and the Virgin Mary from floor to ceiling with Christ's Pantocrator looming over us. Peter, James, and Paul, they were us. And so was Jesus Christ. That is us. In other words, that was our transfiguration. Jesus taking on our nature. Therefore, we're seeing, in a sense, a mirror. Icons are, in a sense, not just a window to eternity, but they're also a mirror. We're seeing in them our real nature, our real meaning, our real beginnings, and our real destiny. So the magnificent art form of iconography is both a window and a mirror. Now, for the Feast of the Dormition, or the Falling Asleep of the Mother of God, also known in the Laterite Church as the Assumption, we sing prayers like this. In giving birth, your conception was without seed. In falling asleep, your body did not undergo corruption. You have passed from one miracle to another, O Mother of God. How did the virgin who knew not man nourish an infant? How did the Mother of God know death? Therefore, with the angels we cry out to you, rejoice, for you are full of grace. And the troparion, which is kind of, kind of the identifying verse that we sing in church for any feast day, we say this, O Mother of God, in giving birth you still preserve virginity, and in your falling asleep you did not forsake the world. You were the mother of life and have been transferred to life, and through your prayers had delivered our souls from death. Notice how in all of the theology, in all the prayers of the Eastern Church, the theology comes through. Praying for us is kind of like a theological expose in a sense. I don't mean this in a very heady way. I mean this really in a way in which what we're praying is actually what we believe. So even the smallest little child who can sing these chants in our church, and indeed they do, is actually being in that moment a great theologian, a great mystic, coming from their innocent little mouths, whether they know it or not, I guess they know it in a certain sense, is the profound theology of the church, of that feast day, of that person, of Jesus Christ, our mother of God. You know, it's interesting about children in the church and how they do know. In the Byzantine church, it is our custom to give the three sacraments of initiation to anyone who is baptized. In other words, you're baptized, you're confirmed, and you receive Holy Communion. It's sort of like the summation of those first two sacraments, the perfection of them, regardless of your age, which means that, yes, you will see in a Byzantine liturgy, if you ever visit a Byzantine church, and I certainly hope you do, certainly you're invited to visit mine in Homer Glen, Illinois. You can find out about us and where we are by going to byzantinecatholic.com. But in the Byzantine liturgy, you'll notice little babies and children being fed the body and blood of Christ, the Eucharist. And in doing so, we sometimes wonder, well, gee, do they really know what's going on? Well, does even an adult really know what's going on in baptism? Sometimes you wonder if people really know what's happening when 
their child is being baptized, they're, being, they're bringing it to the church for baptism? Or does a couple today really know what's going on in the sacrament of marriage? Do they really, really know the sacramentality of marriage? Well, the child seems to know. And I'll tell you one example. One time, a little child was being brought up to commune with his mother in his mother's arms. And as I gave communion to his mother, and then I gave it to the little child. As the mother turned away and went back to her place in the church, the little child yelled out at the top of his little voice, Mmm, mmm, mommy, Jesus is good. So you tell me, who don't you think they really know the children their own way? I want to thank you for listening to us here. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>